Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Robin Kaplan on with us. She is the founder of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Yeah. So I would love to know um, a little bit more about yourself and um, yeah, we'll just start there. Okay. Um, well, I, um, I'm a mom of two boys. I have two teenage sons that are in ninth and 11th grade. Um, I am a native San Diegan. I've lived here almost my entire life, except for a few snippets for college and grad school. (laughs) Um, And I was, uh, before I became a lactation consultant, I was um, an elementary school teacher, as well as I did museum education for about six years and um, got into this profession um, after my kids were born. I didn't even know this profession existed until uh, the lady showed up in my hospital room. So uh, so yeah, so I've been doing this now. I, I opened up my center, which was actually, I called it the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, but I was kind of like a mobile center. Essentially my car was the center for the first couple of years, but I opened it up in 2009. And now um, we've had a freestanding clinic for quite a, a while now um, here in San Diego. So awesome. And oh, I didn't even know all of the, the journeys that you had before. Um, but I obviously most of us do have journeys before we come into what we are. So it's so cool to hear a little bit more about your background. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And fun fact, I actually lived in San Diego for a summer. That's the only other place I've lived besides Minnesota. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. I worked yeah, at a San fitness Diego. camp out there in La Jolla. Oh, well, there you lived in the nice part of San Diego. <laughs> I used so, to run yeah. up and down that hill the, by the beach. That was my like oh my whole gosh. summer of like, all right, I'm going to make it all the way up this hill. That's what I remember about my time there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you know, it, um, this summer was the first time that I had actually spent time in the water during when the tiger sharks or leopard sharks, leopard sharks, yes. Leopard sharks go and lay their babies essentially, or have their babies in the cove. And so, I mean, I've heard about it. I I saw a few of them when I've kayaked there before, but we were, uh, we had a little family vacation for a couple days there and um, we were swimming in the, in the waves and looking down and I I didn't realize that they were, you know, non-dangerous sharks at first. We were like, oh, we need to get out of here. And then, and we started seeing all these people out there talking about these huge pods of, of whatever you call a group of sharks. And um, so we went out there and all afternoon they were swimming by our feet. They, oh. they don't, they're completely harmless to humans. I mean, they don't even open their mouth more than like a, the size of a quarter, but wow. essentially they migrate, all the females migrate down to this one particular area in the cove and have their babies there. And so it was, it was so magical. I couldn't believe that that was essentially my, my backyard. I mean, I don't, wow. I don't live in La Jolla, but still just that this was occurring in my community in um, just such an, a beautiful piece of nature that I got to witness. It was awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Oh. Yeah. Well, I would love to know, um, you know, a little bit more kind of about your journey with um, the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. As you said, you started in your car and now it's evolved into a standalone building. So can you talk a little bit about how that journey went for you? Sure. So, you know, like I had mentioned, I I didn't even know lactation consultants existed until my first son was born. And we had a pretty long drawn out first child birth and things like that. And so we, we definitely struggled with nursing in the hospital and a lactation consultant had come into our 
our room and was able to help us a little bit. I mean, there, you know, there's only so much you can do when there's no milk in yet and things like that. And so we ended up meeting with a consultant when I got home from the hospital and she really just helped put a plan in place. She had support groups every week that I would go to and really helped kind of foster this really beautiful community of nursing parents and, you know, supporting one another. And so when I had my second kiddo, you know, I, he was a worse nurser than the first, but I was more educated. I knew I, I was already better prepared, essentially, like I knew who to call. So I worked with her again. And at this time, I was working at the Museum of Art um, here in San Diego and just trying to navigate that with two two small children. My kids are 15 months apart, not really on purpose. <laughs> and uh, breastfeeding is not birth control. Um, and, <laughs> or it can be, but not the way I was doing it. So, um, so essentially, uh, you know, I took some time off trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, you know, having been a teacher and I had really enjoyed um, breastfeeding once we kind of figured things out. And so my stepmom was a doula and she um, knew about this program at UCSD. And so uh, I, I started the program there and I loved it. And because I'm not a nurse by trade, I essentially had only one option and that was to open up my own business. And I fortunately come from a long line of entrepreneurs. And so that was something that wasn't super scary to me. And uh, so I started my business then and gosh, since then, I've, I mean, right now I have about six employees. Um, I've had, you know, several who have come through and left over the past, you know, um, several years. Uh, we started a foundation in 2016 to help support um, marginalized communities to have ac better access to lactation services. And so it's just, it's been this really cool morph of, you know, combining my my passion for parenting, my passion for food um, and nutrition, and then my passion for education um, all into one little ball. It's really cool. Mm. So I, I love my job. I, um, it's the longest job I've ever had. And it's definitely one of the most fulfilling as well. Mm. And at your, um, you know, now at your center, you also offer classes for other doulas and lactation consultants as well. We do. So, you know, we, we've offered um, classes for parents, you know, soon to be parents and new parents for quite a while now. And then we just launched um, a, a class for doulas and our birth, you know, birth workers. It doesn't necessarily have to be a doula, but we do have, um, our class is DONA certified if that's important to people. Um, but yeah, it's a six hour course, both either through Zoom or we have a pre-recorded one that just helps doulas support their clients in a way that's still within their scope of practice but you know doulas are they they serve this incredible role even if they're birth doulas and not postpartum doulas but that connection that you make with someone in you know either during birth pre-birth or post-birth you know you are often that person that these parents trust and they want to call and ask for help and guidance and so we thought it would be really helpful to provide some resources for doulas so that way they can answer those basic questions and they do know what they can help with within their scope of practice and then what are the reasons they would refer to a lactation consultant so it's been really great to be able to educate um, doulas in our community and you know not even just in our community because I guess people are taking it from all over the country um, we've even had a couple from Canada as well too so it's just it's it's spreading the the knowledge in a way that it um, can then transfer 
to supporting families, which I love. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love to kind of dive now into some um, common breastfeeding or chest feeding misconceptions that maybe you run into on a regular basis. Sure. And, um, and thank you for using the word chest feeding. I know that, um, that's a a term that maybe some people are not familiar with. Um, it's a term that essentially resonates with those who do not identify as female. So non-binary folk, transgender folk who are still nurturing and feeding their baby from their chest. And so, um, I, we definitely use that term in conjunction with breastfeeding. And so it just helps create more of an, an, an inclusive way of talking about how we feed our baby from our party. So, um, I, I would say one of the biggest kind of myths or misconceptions well, I'll set it up first. So I, I know that you know so much preparation focuses on birth and, and setting up the nursery and, and a lot of soon-to-be parents don't really think about preparing for nursing. So it might be a misconception that, you know, we don't, re- there's nothing really to prepare for. This is kind of something you learn on the job. <laughs> um, but so much research shows that partner support, preparing, you know, the, the nursing parent getting that, um, that education and even the support of the grandparents, how that plays a huge role in the nursing parent reaching their chest and breastfeeding goals. So I, I would say because, because of that misconception, a lot of parents don't have that support that they really truly need to reach whatever their personal goals are. So I love recommending to have, you know, partners attend a, a prenatal class. Um, it, it allows them to feel more involved with the process as well as gives them, you know, tangible ways that they can help the nursing parent in those first several weeks. I recommend bringing in the grandparents and talking to them about your desire to nurse. And so they can be supportive especially if that was not the way that they fed their children. Um, and so that sometimes there's that disconnect there um, and almost like a, a fear of judgment from the grandparents' perspective. Well, if that's not how I fed you, if, you're, if this is so important to you, then I must have done something wrong. And so really bringing them into the conversation that, no, this is what, this is, you know, what I choose to do with the knowledge that I have now, what you did, you did the best with the information you had at the time. And I would like your support in X, Y, and Z way to make sure that, um, that I can reach my goal, um, even though it might be a little different than what yours looked like. Um, and really prenatally too, having the, the soon-to-be family find those chest and breastfeeding support groups, either in person or virtually, where they can get support and camaraderie after their baby is born, as well as do a little research and find a lactation consultant that they can call um, if they need help after the baby's born. So I think just really focusing on preparation of not just the nursing parent, but getting the education and support from the from the group of people that's going to be most important in that baby's life, um, all on the same page. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. Cause we can't do this on our own and we're not meant to be like, we're not to meant to, we're not meant to do this on our own. So bringing people in at the, at the ground <laughs> can be really helpful. Um, I would say another misconception that I hear a lot is that small breast equals small milk supply and large breast equals large milk supply. Mm. Um, so, you know, the chest is essentially just a vessel or container for the milk, <laughs> um, but it, it isn't necessarily a predictor of what supply will look like. So, um, just understanding that supply is determined by the amount of glandular tissue that you have in your chest and that how that fatty tissue expands and multiplies during pregnancy and after the baby's born. Um, and then 
it, milk supply really depends on the chest emptying after the baby's born. So the more you empty when feeding or pumping the signals to your brain, I like to call it phoning in the order <laughs> to the brain to be like, okay, I'm phoning in the order that I need to, you know, I need to make X amount of milk. Um, and so that emptying is, is really critical as well. So some parents might find that if they are smaller chested, that they might have to feed a little bit more frequently because essentially the vessel can only hold, the container can only hold so much milk, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that their overall supply is going, is necessarily going to be any different than someone who um, has a larger chest size. I've so. never heard that. So that's a great tip. Yeah. I didn't even know any of that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, there there was a great um, Nancy Moorbacher is a, an amazing um, expert in the field of lactation, and she had this infographic essentially about how the chest is a is a container and talking about that. And I was like, that is such a great way of putting it. So, yeah. you know, it just it helps because you know I I'm not very large chested, and so I remember thinking like, well, my you know my breast didn't even grow that much while I was pregnant, and yet you know, my, my kids still got nice and chunky and, and happy. So <laughs> clearly they were able to do what they needed to do. Um, and then I would say like kind of my last misconception, um, is that if the, if the baby's taking forever to transfer milk while nursing, um, that you have a quote unquote lazy feeder or a lazy baby. Um, and I hear this a lot. I hear this, you know, clients will say that, you know, health practitioners have told them that they have a lazy baby. And that's just, you know, I, I want to say like, no babies are lazy, you know, from a survival perspective, like this yeah. is the one task they really cannot slack on. Um, and so, you know, a baby who seems quote unquote lazy or, or takes, you know, an hour or more to feed on average and is actually really trying to communicate to all of us that they're having a difficult time feeding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and this could be caused by baby being jaundiced in the beginning, or if they have tethered oral tissue, like a tongue or a lip tie, or the, you know, they needed a nipple shield to latch on, or they're premature, or there are just so many reasons why a baby would, you know, might have a challenge with nursing. And so um, I like to kind of frame it when I hear parents say that, that they've been told that they have a lazy baby is that like babies who appear lazy are actually doing the best they can with the situation they've been dealt. And so we need to honor them and be like, okay, your kid is actually doing the best that they can, what they're, you know, they're telling us that they need assistance. And so this is a great reason to meet with a lactation consultant to help your baby begin to feed more effectively and easily as soon as possible, because we don't, we don't want our kids to struggle. Um, and they're essentially communicating that they're having, having a, a struggle that they need some assistance with. So, um, yeah, that I would say those are, those are kind of my top misconceptions that I hear a lot. Wow. Yeah. And I, the last tip too, I was like, I didn't know any of that either. Like that, <laughs> it makes sense though. Like there's something going on instead of just, you know, saying, Oh, a lazy baby that makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, you think from like a developmental and survival perspective, like they <laughs> lazy, lazy babies or lazy people don't necessarily survive very well. So yeah. you know, their goal is to eat. And so yeah. if they're not doing it well, it's not because they don't want to, it's that they're, you know, they're saying like, Hey, could you help me out a little bit? Yeah. That makes so much sense. So what are some other tips maybe, um, for, you know, new parents to breast or chest feed, how can they make it maybe easier on themselves? Yeah. So I think, you know, my, my best recommendation is to just, it always goes back to support. So 
when we, when we struggle with anything, you know, just as an adult, you know, and we're, we're struggling with, oh gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm, well, I'm looking at my dogs right now. So my dogs don't behave well. They walk terribly on leashes. <laughs> um, same, and so, <laughs> yeah, so this is something that I, um, this is not my gift. This is not my zone of genius on how to train dogs. And so what did I do? I hired a, you know, a person to help teach me kind of teach my dogs to be better walkers on the leash. So that way I'm not yelling at them as I'm walking down the street, my neighbors think I'm crazy. So, um, so support, you know, this is why all of us have jobs, you know, is because we are, you know, people out there are there to support others. And so I think preparing prenatally is huge because if you don't know who you're going to call on for support, and then you're struggling at, you know, 3am, you're Googling, you know, how to get rid of sore nipples. You're going to find a whole ton of really complicated stuff online and not always accurate. And so finding your people prior to having your baby makes such a huge difference because then you've, you already have that team in place and they're expecting to assist you if you need it. And so, um, you know, having a really good pediatrician who is, you know, chest and breastfeeding supportive. I know, I realize that might sound kind of silly. Should they all be, but you know, some doctors, this is their passion and other doctors took a two hour class, like the prenatal class that most parents take. And so their information could be outdated. Their information that could not be as, you know, um, as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for supportive Mm -hmm. as we need it to be. And so, you know, doing your research ahead of time and making sure that the people that you're working with resonate with you and that they are going to provide the care that you deserve and that your baby deserves. So I think really that's, that's the best preparation. And because when we have that preparation, then it makes the whole process much easier afterwards, um, after the baby's born. And then also just keep in mind that this is while nursing, yes, is a natural and normal thing. And you know, that this is what's been happening. And this is how we've been feeding our (laughs) babies for forever. Um, It's still a learned skill. And so, and even with, you know, future children, like I said, like my second kiddo was not as good of a nurser as my first. And so, um, and my first wasn't good. (laughs) So (laughs) the second was even worse. Um, So it's a, because I was more experienced, but he wasn't. And so it's a learned process it can take a while. It's not, you know, some people get it in the first couple of days, but give yourself a good six weeks to really kind of figure it out with this new partner of yours. Um, so, you know, don't, don't put too much judgment on those first six weeks. It, it's a process that's learned that requires experience and it should get easier over time, but um, it may not be easy in the beginning. And that doesn't mean it has to be a deal breaker. Mm. I love that. And yeah, and the pediatrician, like we switched pediatricians when we moved and, um, I wasn't in love with the first one we had. Cause she was, um, like he had a little strawberry like thing on his stomach and she kept like mm-hmm. every, every visit was like that, that should go away by the time he's two. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Don't really care. Like, is he like how he should be? Cause I, you know, I was a new mom and I'm like, 
Yeah. I have no idea what's going on with him. Like, is this normal? Is this normal? And she just like kept honing in on this. And it was just based on where we were in, you know, in the Metro area here, like that, that side of the Metro tends to, you know, focus on the aesthetics where I was like, Ah. I don't care as much about that strawberry thing. That's on his stomach. I want to know, you know, she said it was perfectly fine. So like nothing to be concerned about. So I was like, okay, but how is he developing? Is this what he's supposed to be doing? Yeah. And so, you know, making sure, and I was like, no, I'm not going to, when we move, I'm going to just find a new pediatrician closer to our new house, which, you know, all of those little things that we can do. Cause I think sometimes we just think like, oh, we're stuck with this pediatrician, even though they might not align with, you know, our values and what we want. Exactly. And I know for myself too, and I, I say, that I recommend this to my parents that I work with a lot and even just friends and family, like it, one, one practitioner. So we have a pediatrician for my sons and we also have a naturopath for my sons. And because sometimes we need like super Western medical stuff, you know, and then other times we need someone to look a little bit in a, in a more unique alternative way. Um, and that doesn't mean that one necessarily is better than the other. It just means that we just need, um, different perspectives sometimes. (laughs) And, um, and, also the way we've really chosen our pediatricians is like, I don't want to have to constantly advocate for my child or myself. Mm -hmm. Like I want someone who actually listens to me. Um, because when we have to keep advocating, it gets, it gets, um, uh, it it can feel really ugly, you know, like, why do I have to keep you know, asking for this, or why do I have to keep bringing this up? Like, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you, you know, validating my experience? And so I love our pediatricians and the the naturopath, because I feel like they do listen and they sometimes don't have an answer. And so that's why I have another alternative. Um, And, you know, we work as a team Mm -hmm. and I feel like, um, you know, I tell clients as well too, like, you know, we have six lactation consultants here. And so if one experience isn't resonating with you, if the personality or whatever is not resonating for you, you can either see someone else in our practice or you can see someone outside of our practice. Like it doesn't mean that this person's a bad practitioner, but they're just not a good fit for you. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to stick with people who aren't a good fit because then it it's, you're never going to get the resolution you're looking for. Oh, yes. Um, I would love to know some other tips, you know, they don't have to be lactation, but anything for support during that postpartum time period for new parents, because that is such a, uh, it's a hard time, you know, those first few weeks are a difficult time. So what could maybe people do to help support new parents? Sure. So, well, you know, if we think about the kind of the, the first 40 days, which we don't really talk about in the United States, but in most other cultures, the first 40 days postpartum, the, the birthing parent essentially does not leave the bedroom. Food mm-hmm. is cooked for them, brought to them. They are, you know, they take care of their babies. That's their job. So everybody else takes care of them. Um, unfortunately, United, in the United States, unless I see this in my immigrant community that I work with for sure. Um, you know, where family members come in for three months and help take care of the family and the baby. Um, but I would say most families, we, we don't have that luxury, which it's too bad that it's considered a luxury at this point. But, um, and so if that being the case, so setting up a meal train for the family um, that is sensitive to, you know, if they have food allergies or intolerances or things like that, you know, um, making sure that if they're gluten sensitive, they're not getting a whole bunch of like casseroles of bread in it, you know, but, um, <laughs> but or pastas, but, um, but setting up a, setting up a food, like a meal train can be really helpful. So that way the family is getting like home cooked, 
hopefully, or just nourishing foods that um, can help support their their growth during this time, because, you know, most new families are not sleeping well. And anytime we're not sleeping well, it really kind of put, puts a strain on our immune system. So if we can support mm-hmm. their immune system through warm, nourishing foods and things like that, um, that's really going to be beneficial for them. Um, offering to help out with older kids if they happen to have older kids. And so, you know, asking if you can take their toddler or, you know, pick up their kid, their school age kid after school or something like that. So that way that older kid is being attended to um, by the community and not just um, by the parents. Um, You know, if there is a way, you know, I know still COVID is still kind of rampant at this point, but um, you know, can you do their laundry? Can you wash their dishes? You know, when you stop by, if they're, you know, if they're allowing people to stop by and things like that, you know, what, and instead of asking, what can I do? Ask like, Hey, do you mind, can I go wash your dishes really quickly? Or what can I throw in the laundry for you? Like be very proactive about what you're willing to offer for them because most parents are going to say, Oh no, it's fine. I got it. You know, but if you actually say like, what laundry would you, can I do that load of laundry for you? It's hard to say, no to that. (laughs) Um, So those, I I would say, looking at just from what, what does this family need? And if, if you've had children before, like we, we know what we needed at that time. So how can we lighten the load for these families so they can just sit and be with their baby and get to know their baby and get, you know, a nursing rhythm down and get, you know, this family pattern down. Um, so that way they can actually enjoy the process of, you know, those first six weeks rather than just feel like it's a whirlwind and they didn't even get to really like sit and relax. Mm, yes. Yeah. That was my best friend. She was going to visit us at the hospital after my son was born. And I just remember she must've videoed, you know, chatted me and she was like, I think I'm just going to come visit you. Like, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, cause yeah. just, just how tired yeah. I was. And I mean, just like, cause I didn't know like going into, but I was like, yeah, come, that'd be fun. And then yeah. after you go through, you know, birthing experience, you're like, maybe, nope, I'm, I'm a couple of weeks is great. <laughs> you yeah, know, I need the rest. True. And, you know, yeah. thankfully she, she was a mom too at the time. So she kind of saw that and she's like, you know, let's do it a couple of weeks. I'll come to your house. I'll bring lunch, you know, and She's like, I'm going to make this easy on you. And so I was like, oh, I really appreciated that. Like she never said that was why until, you know, you know, I was way past the postpartum period and I was like, oh yeah, it makes so much sense because sometimes we don't know what we need in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the 40 days that is very Ayurvedic. That is um, something that I'm a big believer in. And I didn't follow it like the, and I didn't know, um, why until I traveled week six. So I traveled six weeks after having my son, I flew out to LA for like a business, um, four day business mastermind. And oh man, like I wouldn't do that again. Like I was just so exhausted, so tired and nobody there was a mom. Like it was just a small intimate group of us. And so nobody really knew what I was feeling. There's like, Oh, it's just like, you just feel kind of off. I'm like, I just had a baby. Like I haven't slept in weeks. Like I am, you know, like they don't know. And so I was just like, okay, yeah, maybe there's something wrong with me. And then you get in your own head. And I was like, yeah, I would have been better off just probably staying home and resting. I know that now. And I definitely tell people that, you know, when I work with people who are pregnant, I'm like, definitely those first 40 days are really important. Just kind of take that time for yourself. Yeah. Well, and I, I like to say too, like, I think, you know, when, when families are chest or breastfeeding, you know, their kiddos feed for a good 20 to 40 minutes each feeding session for those first like six weeks. Eventually they get much quicker, you know? Um, But I think it's nature's way of making us slow down. 
And just like, you need to heal. You shouldn't have to do all the things like, you know, and I realize not everyone has that luxury, but if you do have support, um, then try, try to take advantage of the fact that, you know, nature is trying to make you sit down for 20 to 40 minutes, eight or more times in a 24 hour period to really just sit and relax, bond with your baby rest. Um, because your body, your body needs that. Yeah. Yeah. Plus I had to pump to prep for this trip. So I pumped and was, oh, gosh. it was literally all day long. That's all I was doing yeah. was feeding. And I was just like more depleted from all of this and exhausted. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, oh yeah, that this is definitely not, not something I would advise in the future. <laughs> After I got back, I did not, I don't think I pumped again. Cause I was like, I'm done pumping like <laughs> this year now. Never Cause I had already had plenty in the freezer, but I was like, yeah, nope, I'm good. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So I would love to know, cause I actually don't know this myself. Um, you know, I did, wasn't aware that there were services outside of what the hospital offered, you know, where people, mm. you know, I knew that someone, cause they set that up at our hospital, that someone would come and just make sure um, that my son was breastfeeding with me well. And that was it, you know, it was the one visit and done. Um, so can you talk about why people might want to search this out on their own and um, you know, how people can even find places like yours? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I didn't know they existed outside of the hospital either, by the way, when I had my kids, my pediatrician was the one who handed me a card of someone like, they can actually come to your house. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Um, So this is amazing. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I mean, so a lot of insurances will cover these services. um, And so it really is just a matter of doing a Google search in your community. So, or going on Yelp in all honesty, Mm -hmm. um, and looking for either, you know, breastfeeding specialists, lactation consultants, you do want to choose someone who is a, it's called an IDCLC. So an international board certified lactation consultant. This is, this is like the, the gold standard of breastfeeding support. So anyone can say they're a breastfeeding specialist and they could have taken like a 20 hour class and never had any hands-on experience and stuff like that. But to become an IBCLC, you need at least, you know, 120 hours of breastfeeding education that you need um, somewhere between a hundred to a thousand clinical hours, depending on what your background is. So it's, I mean, it's, we have to take a board certifying exam every five years. I mean, it's fully legit. So, um, so definitely looking for that. So I would do a Google search. I would ask your friends, um, and, and then see if your insurance will cover it. So for example, at our center, you know, we take TRICARE, we take a bunch of PPOs. We have a contract with one of the hospitals for their HMOs. Um, and so all of these families come and see us and, and they don't need to pay for the visit, which is amazing. And then, you know, for other people who don't fall into those categories, then, you know, there's cash paying rates. Um, we also, like I mentioned earlier on, we have a nonprofit that helps subsidize consultations for families who um, have limited access either because they live in a, what we call like a breastfeeding desert. So um, communities that um, are higher with, you know, people of color tend to have less breastfeeding and chest feeding resources in their communities, as well as low income families. So um, those are who we serve with our nonprofit, but there, you know, lactation consultants, uh, you know, it's, 
it's a cert certification that has definitely become more popular in the past 10 years. And so I would say there should be someone in your community that you could find um, online. And then if not, you know, since COVID started, so many of us have still continued to do virtual support. So for example, I have one lactation consultant that all she does is virtual breastfeeding lactation support, uh, lactation consultations. So for people who don't live in San Diego, who don't have someone that they can rely on in person, um, you can find a consultant online who doesn't have to be in your community. And we can still seek out, you know, um, if you needed, for example, to meet with, uh, I'm trying to think of like, if, if your baby had a tongue tie and, you know, the baby, your baby needed it released or whatever like that, like we could help you find a practitioner in your community, even if we don't live there. Oh, so, um, so there are tons of resources um, and just doing that search online prior to having a baby takes away the guesswork after you've had your baby and maybe you'll never need us. Um, but if you do, at least you've already done the research. Well, yeah. And that's the same. I'm from a rural town. You know, I grew up in a town of 500 people and right now the rural and kind of the Midwest, the healthcare is, there's not a ton. I mean, my family has yeah. to drive an hour to get to the hospital. Um, so that's where that would help too, because there, there's not going to be, I would highly doubt there's anyone down in that area besides yeah. that Mayo clinic. Cause that's the closest hospital to them. Uh, with Shannon is an hour away. So that's something where it's a great option for people who might be remote and not have access to do yeah. the, you know, the virtual. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, I would love to know um, just a little bit more about scholarships. I know you have scholarships at your location because if people are listening, they're like, oh, I love, I love all of this, but maybe, you know, funds are an issue. Is there ways, you know, are other places doing scholarships and offering um, kind of like what you do? Well, so it, it depends. Um, there are nonprofit organizations out there um, all over the all over the United States that um, have subsidized lactation consultations for families. Um, so we offer those as, and those can be virtual too, by the way. So if someone lives in a community um, where they need to have a virtual consultation and the and their insurance isn't going to cover it, our you know our our reduced fee lactation consultations are still available to them as well. Um, and then we also have scholarships um, that are for people who want to become lactation consultants, but those are specific to people in, um, in San Diego County. And so we, at this point, um, have one black lactation consultant for all of San Diego County and very few Spanish speaking ones. And so we're trying to change the landscape of our community here to better represent the diversity of our county. And so we have scholarships that um, through our foundation, it's called Feeding Our, Feeding our Future and to help support people of color who would like to become lactation consultants and work in San Diego. So, um, so that's Very something cool. if someone's listening and they're in San Diego and they're like, I wanna do this, um, <laughs> we can go to, our, go to our website and find out more information about that. And then we also for our doula program as well too, offer scholarships and that is not specific to San Diego County. So if there are birth workers who are listening to this, who would like to take our six hour class about how to support their families in the feeding journey. And we, not, we talk not just about breastfeeding and chest feeding, but also bottle feeding. Um, we talk about how to help families when they're pumping and make sure they're using the right pump size, flange size and all that kind of stuff. And so we do offer scholarships for um, people who, for those who identify as people of color um, and they can get a 50% off scholarship if they apply um, to take that course as well too. Very cool. 
Well, Thank I just you. have a couple of final, um, you know, wrap up questions. I think one to kind of tie everything we're talking about, um, with the postpartum period, um, I would love to know kind of that, what is the role of a postpartum doula? I think I've mm-hmm. seen that more out there and maybe people have too, but they don't know exactly. Well, what do they do? Yeah. So postpartum doulas, you know, it, it's kind of a range of things and it really depends on the postpartum doula that you're hiring, but essentially their job is to help take care of the birthing parent and the newborn. And so, um, it can be that they're helping with feeding. They can help with breastfeeding. They can help with bottle feeding. They can help with washing pump pieces and bottle pieces. They can, some will cook for you. Um, some will do your laundry, you know, some like almost like nannying tasks as well too. Um, but the goal is just to provide that additional support. So that way the parent can focus on healing, can focus on themselves. They can focus on their baby. They, maybe they need to help, you know, with assistance with older children as well too. They want to be able to attend to the older children. So this postpartum doula could provide support to the, to the newborn, um, at that time period. And so, um, and they, they're, they're so knowledgeable. And so they, you know, it's like that person that you just wanted to ask like all your questions to, um, they often have really, really great advice about just, anything parenting in general. Um, and so they're just, they're, they're just this incredible support network, um, that comes into your home to, to help you however you really need it. I love that. Uh, and then how long would they stay in general? You know, it depends. Um, I mean, some people will hire a postpartum doula for a couple weeks. Some will hire them for a couple months. Um, but I would say at some point it probably switches to rather postpartum doula, but more towards nanny. Um, and at that person, the postpartum doula might be phased out. Um, so, but yeah, um, I mean, I have a, like clients who have twins, a lot of times they'll use a postpartum doula for like three nights a week. Mm. And so that way they have, you know, an extra set of hands in the middle of the night to help with feeding and changing and, and keeping the babies nice and calm. So the parents after feeding can actually go back to sleep. And if the babies aren't sleeping, then there's someone there attending to them. So, um, I think that a postpartum doula can be really critical, um, for parents of multiples to just have an, you know, if they don't have other family members who can help hiring someone if they have the funds um, to really just help in the middle of the night so that the parents can actually get um, as much sleep as possible um, Mm. in between feedings and things like that. Yeah. I've had a client who did that and she highly recommended it. Um, And I completely forgot when Jalen was young, I'm like, oh, that, that is an option. You know, if you have someone who's not sleeping through the night and um, you know, she was just like, it was really wearing on her and that she's, she had the funds and she's like, I might as well try this. And she loved it. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. even just knowing that that's an option, because again, sometimes yep. we don't hear about this until afterwards, you know, our, mm-hmm. you know, child is past that age and you're like, oh, that would have been great to just know that was, that was out there. Definitely. So I would love if people are listening, they want to connect with you, Robin, where is the best place for them to find you? Sure. So, um, so we have two websites, um, San Diego breastfeeding center, com and then we also have our foundations website which is sdbfc so san diego breastfeeding center foundation.org um we also have a pretty active instagram page which is san diego breastfeeding center which um, is our is the hub of both the 
the center and the foundation. So we share lots of information about both um, on our Instagram. Um, we have a YouTube channel called DIY Breastfeeding. And so that has lots of little tips and videos um, with questions that we often get from clients or people through Instagram and things like that. Um, and then I have a book. Yeah. <laughs> I have a book that people could purchase if they wanted. Um, it's called Latch, a handbook for breastfeeding with confidence at every stage. So that can be found on Amazon or in your local bookstore. Um, it takes you through pregnancy through weaning. And so it's a, it's a really easy read. Um, it's not one of these huge tomes. <laughs> um, and, and so, um, so it, it can be just a nice way to get even more information wherever you are in that feeding journey. Perfect. Well, I just have one final question for you. Um, whenever I have a guest on, I like to have the guests throw out a little weekly challenge to the listeners. So okay. what would you like that challenge to be this week for everyone? Okay. So I would say that that challenge is to reach out to a friend who has a little, so maybe not, I mean, you might not have a friend who has a newly born child, but you know, has a little and, um, and ask them essentially offer to help them out with something. So can I bring you dinner this week? Can I offer to watch your kid this week? Can, do you want to get away from your child? Do you want to come out with me this week? Um, but, you know, parenting, especially during a pandemic can be incredibly isolating. And so whatever feels most comfortable, depending on where you live and, you know, what's going on in your community pandemic wise and stuff like that, but just reaching out to a friend um, and offering support in whatever way feels um, genuine, um, I think would be a lovely thing to, to do this week. Yeah. And we didn't even touch on that. So that's a great point just to reach out, especially this past, you know, almost two years and, you know, yeah. it can be isolating. So that's a great reminder. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you, Robin, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us this week. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was so fun to catch up with you. Yeah. Thank you again. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.